All right, Matt. So what do you call a sea animal that really, really, really likes you? Hmm. I don't know. A seal of approval. (laughs) (laughs) Good evening, everybody, and welcome to the graveyard. Thank you for joining us tonight. My name is Adam. And my name's Matt. Now, pull up a tombstone or settle into your casket and get comfortable because this is Graveyard Tales. <laughs> All right, everybody, here we are again. Matt, how you doing tonight, brother? I'm good, brother. Good I'm deal. Good. good deal. It's hot here. I know you said it's getting hot there. Y'all are about to get blown away again. Um, yeah, it seems like every Wednesday now. Yep, and it's every uh, Tuesday we get it, and every Wednesday y'all get it. So. Right. Yeah. Um, but it is sweltering today. So if you're watching the video on Patreon and you see us sweating buckets, just don't worry about it. We can't have fans on while we record. So, you know, right. Yeah. You'll just have to deal with sweaty faces and moist shirts, I guess. But <laughs> moist, <laughs> it's so moist. You like that? No, I hate it. I hate <laughs> it. Uh, real quick. We want to say, go check out the pod belly network at podbelly.com. We're proud proud members of the Podbelly Network, and you can find a whole bunch of different shows that are also members of the Podbelly Network that you might not find normally. So go check them out at podbelly.com. We also want to thank tonight's sponsors, Acorn TV, AMC Shutter, and HelloFresh. And we'll talk more about them throughout this episode. Um, We mentioned Patreon. Go to patreon.com slash graveyard tales, and you can sign up to become become a patron. We've got three different levels, a one, a five, and a 10. And for the $10 a month patrons, you get the video versions of us recording these episodes along with the bonus episodes that we put out and a little thank you note thing that we send out to you. Um, But if you're interested in that, go over there, sign up, become a $10 patron. Thank you to all our patrons. Um, No matter what level you sign up as, it means a lot to us. And we could not keep doing this without you guys. I know we have sponsors, but we love you guys and your donations mean the most to us um, because we could not keep it up without y'all. So if you can and you want to get some bonus entertainment from us, go over there to patreon.com slash graveyard tales. We try to put out like one, at least one episode a week. Occasionally we've done two or if we skip a week for Family stuff, we'll put out two or or so the next week just to make up for it. But we try to make sure y'all get at least one bonus episode, and it's not necessarily exactly what we do on the main episodes. Um, We've done, just here recently, uh, we did uh, a thing on female pirates, uh, famous Mm -hmm. female pirates. We did a thing on crazy military weapons that they tested and thought about putting out into wars and stuff and that they didn't and it just all sorts of stuff. So if you're interested in hearing us talk about things not necessarily paranormal related, go over there, check it out. Patreon.com slash graveyard tales. All right, Adam, let's take a moment and talk about one of tonight's sponsors, Acorn TV. 
you know, these days it feels like every show that I watch is just a copy of something else. Mm-hmm. You know, this is a cop show. This is a hospital show. You know, the, you know, it's just it's just kind of a repeat. It's a formula. It's just, yeah, with different actors. Yep. Okay. You can almost quote the next line before they say it. You know, you you know where it's going. But that doesn't happen when I watch Acorn TV, which is the best place to get shows from Britain, Ireland, Australia, and many others. Now, everything that I watch on Acorn feels new and original, and there's something new to discover every week. Right. And Acorn TV is the largest commercial-free British streaming service that features compelling stories, exclusive premieres, and originals you won't find anywhere else. Acorn TV has hundreds of exclusive shows from around the world, including award-winning mysteries, dramas, comedies, history, and so much more. And you can go over and watch Aftertaste Season 1, and having burned all his bridges... Volatile chef Easton West finds himself with one more chance in a high-end Shanghai restaurant. But when opening night turns into a pig-slinging disaster, the subsequent social media tsunami washes Easton ashore in the Adelaide Hills. Arriving like a pariah to a dysfunctional family he abandoned 30 years previously, it's only his outspoken 19-year-old pastry cook niece, Diana, who shows any interest. Easton realizes that Diana represents everything he's not, young, female, and fresh, and takes her under his wing in an effort to crawl his way back to relevance. But what price is Diana willing to pay to work with her infamously difficult uncle? It stars Eric Thompson from 800 Words, Natalie Abbott from The Moth Effect, Rachel Griffiths from Six Feet Under, Wayne Blair from Mystery Road. So go check that out if you like that kind of stuff. It, it's It's a new take on stuff it's a chef that got into trouble i mean i haven't seen anything like that on normal tv right yeah it's just different shows different brands of humor um it's so it's so much different than what american tv has become so it's really worth checking out Right, and you can get thousands of hours of new enthralling content on Acorn TV for a fraction of the cost compared to most streaming services at just $5.99 a month. So for original shows from Britain and beyond, Acorn TV has them all. You're going to love it just like we do. Try Acorn TV for free for 30 days by going to acorn.tv. That's A-C-O-R-N dot TV and use our promo code GRAVE, G-R-A-V-E. But you have to enter the code in lowercase letters. That's right. Acorn.tv, A-C-O-R-N.tv. Use our promo code GRAVE, G-R-A-V-E, to get 30 days for free. Acorn.tv, code GRAVE, in all lowercase letters. So, Matt, this may be kind of a long episode because you and I were talking. And <laughs> yeah, that's right. Seems like we both have a fair amount of stuff. So, yeah. Why don't you tell us what are we talking about tonight, brother? All right. So, uh, tonight's topic actually came from a Patreon episode. Mm-hmm. Um, 
Adam did a did a Patreon um what a a couple of weeks ago, two or yeah, three weeks ago. Something like that. And as we were discussing it and talking about the the area, um we thought we need to talk more about this. Mm-hmm. You know, this there is way more here than maybe we originally thought. Um but and we were right. <laughs> yeah. I mean, that's first it. We time, were right. First time we were this right. Yeah. You know, so t- tonight we're going to talk about an area known as the Bennington Triangle. And it's it's in Vermont. And there is as much strain, strangeness going on here or that has gone on in the past as the Bermuda Triangle. Yeah. And yep. in fact, it is often referred to as Vermont's Bermuda Triangle. Yep. But hey, hey look, it it doesn't have to be Vermont's Bermuda Triangle. It's a crazy enough triangle all on its own. It it stands alone. <laughs> yep. One thing I, I, before we get into any more, one thing I thought: why? What is it about the triangle shape? Because there's the Bermuda Triangle, there's the Bennington Triangle, there's the Alaska Triangle, there's the, what what was that other triangle we talked about that I can't remember the name of now? Um, um, it's another... Um, yeah, it's a triangle. It's another media thing. <laughs> they're, uh, they're all triangles. So is there something related to the triangular shape, do you think, that may somehow tangentially relate back to the pyramids or I don't know, just something I was thinking because you were talking about triangles and I, it reminded me of what I thought during this research. Why is it always yeah. triangles? Bridgewater. Yes, that's it. The Bridgewater triangle. I can never come up with that name when I need to. No, nope, I don't either. know why. It's like it will not stay put in my brain. The little gnomes that run around in my head that go to the filing cabinet and pull stuff out to go, say this, mm-hmm. here it is. They, I don't know. They keep losing the index card, I guess. Yeah, mine misfile <laughs> it in like the Z's or something, so it takes a while. Yeah. But, you know, the, this place is really strange. There has been numerous disappearances there have been Bigfoot sightings. There has been mention of UFO sightings, strange lights. I mean, it's just, it, it covers the gambit as far as paranormal activity associated with a particular region. So yeah, it's wild. And as we, as we have seen, and especially on this show, we know that the history involved with an area plays a big part in that. Mm-hmm. And so we we always delve into the history because Adam and I feel like the history helps us explain and or understand what's going on or why it may be yep. attached to this particular area. Yep, exactly. Um, that's I couldn't have said it better myself. That's why we do it. That's why I'm such a history nerd is it helps us explain some of the modern day sightings and happenings um but as we always say go check our sources they're down at the bottom of the show notes Uh, you can find where we found this information 
And you can continue the research because I guarantee you, we are not going to cover everything about the Bennington Triangle in this episode. So go down, check our sources, bottom of the show notes. Um, there, there's going to be a ton for this episode. So weed your way through those sources if you feel like it. Now, the Bennington Triangle, um, it's centered around Glastonbury Mountain in Vermont, has long been known for strange events. It, like Matt was saying, including UFO activity, Bigfoot sightings, strange lights and sounds, and the location where five people disappeared in the 1940s and 50s. One of those is what spurred the um, research for this episode from our Patreon. So if you're interested in diving deeper into that, go check our Patreon for that one. Um, Now, the area is said to be cursed, according to Native American lore. Now, the Native people of the area had long been wary of this area and avoided it. So Glastonbury Mountain they kind of tended to avoid that mountain because of the legends and stuff they had about it. Now, an Algonquin legend warned of a malevolent stone in the mountains that would open up and devour anyone unlucky enough to step on it. Isn't that, that, I mean, that story is, it it comes up frequently when you're looking at Mm -hmm. the Bennington Triangle. It is so bizarre to me. Yeah. That, a stone that just opens up in my head. I've got this like a big, huge rock. that's just kind of roaming around. Yep. And yep. uh, here comes the rock, you know, yep. and everybody's running and this rocks chasing them. And, and we'll touch on a little more, a little bit more in depth here in a minute, but yeah, I mean, that's, that's basically kind of what they say um, because it roams the mountainside. Um, now this mysterious triangle, like I said, centers around Glastonbury mountain, including most of the towns immediately surrounding it, especially the towns of Bennington, Woodford, Shaftesbury, and Somerset, hence why it's the Bennington Triangle. If Bennington wasn't in there, I don't know why they would call it the Bennington Triangle, but we've seen weirder stuff happen, so I wouldn't put it past people. Now, the Green Mountain National Forest, which is, um, you know, it, it encompasses most of this Bennington Triangle. Um, Now, this comes from the National Forest Foundation, and it says the Green Mountain National Forest is located in southwestern and central Vermont. The forest diverse landscapes range from the rugged, exposed heights of the Green Mountain to the quiet, secluded hollows in the wilderness. The forest is within a day's drive of 70 million people. So this isn't like way out in BFE. It's not remote. No, it it can get in semi-remote areas, but you're not super far from people. It's not like right. you're a week away from, you know, oh, it's a week's drive to get to the hospital. It's not like that. You're a day from a, a buzzing metropolis. Now, today, the nearly 400,000-acre Green Mountain National Forest contains more than 2,000 archaeological and historic sites spanning the history of Vermont. So that's kind of cool. Now, of interest are Native American sites, the remains of colonial-era subsistence farmsteads, and evidence of the technologies of the industrial period. Now, the forest supports a variety of wildlife, including beaver, moose, coyote, black bear, Wild-tailed, white, blah, 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 blah. 
white <laughs> white-tailed deer, wild turkey, and ruffed grouse. Now, the forest, being situated in Vermont's Green Mountains, has been referred to as the granite backbone of the state. So, yeah. because of the the look of the mountain, they they call it the granite backbone. Now, this part comes from the Green Mountain Club about Long Trail, um, which we touched on in the Patreon episode. Long Trail is a, a huge trail in that it's area. It's a long trail. It really is. <laughs> it's a long. It's aptly named. Now, this says the trail, Long Trail, leads to Glastonbury Mountain in the unincorporated town of the same name. Glastonbury seems to have been named by Granter Governor Bennington Wentworth of New Hampshire in 1761 for Glastonbury Somerset in England in a series of transposed colonial references. Now, in corroboration, the next township east, also unincorporated, was named Somerset. So, it... Somebody liked England a whole lot. Yeah. Now, Vermont Folklore Authority Joe Citro has said that Glastonbury was known by the native people as, quote, the place where four winds meet. And that's kind of interesting, and and we'll touch on that. Um, But Native Americans, um, like I said, the Algonquin peoples, refused to travel the mountains in this area. That is, unless they were burying their dead. In their eyes, this whole mountain was cursed land. So they would use it to bury their dead, mm-hmm. but that's all. They they would not travel. They would not hunt, according to the legends. Now, the four winds that I mentioned a minute ago are the four wind spirits that are said to do battle in this spot. Now, while most may simply brush this off as a myth, there is some truth behind it. The wind pattern on Glastonbury Mountain is so erratic that the weather changes suddenly and plants tend to grow at odd angles. So keep that in mind during some of these discussions that we have later. Um, Because of the vastly changing wind patterns, Mm -hmm. you know, if you're in a, a fairly windy place, the trees and plants are going to lean with the direction of the wind. Well, because of the changing wind so much, there's no set lean to any of these plants. So if you're trying to use these plants as a guide to hike through or anything like that, or if you're trying to, you know, the moss on the side of it, it doesn't work in the Glastonbury Mountain, according to what people are saying, because of the changing weather patterns and wind patterns here it's it's all over the place oh it's interesting yeah I, I thought it was too um now the native people spoke of warriors who had gone too high in the mountains and vanished and like i mentioned earlier there are tales of a stone that roams through the mountains and if someone comes too close to this stone it will open wide like a gaping mouth and swallow the person whole and they'd never be seen again. So it is kind of like you pictured a big, a big rock roaming around. Yeah, it, it roams all across this mountaintop. So like East Easter Island head just yeah, kind of yeah. just moving and then chomp. Yep. Which makes me wonder if this is true, is it a rock? What else could it be that takes yeah. the shape of this rock? Yeah, and and. 
when it, it says it swallows them whole, I, I like to think that it's not eating them, that it's a portal of some type. Yes. And it just, they, they just go through this portal involuntarily. Right. And right. So, I mean, you know, it's yeah. like, Hey, we're, we need more people. So we're gonna, we're gonna suck up anybody that wanders on this mountain. Yep. And I mean, that's, that's most likely what they're talking about because there are stories of warriors who had been seen walking in this area and then disappear into portals that opened in the ground beneath their feet. Yeah. So they're just walking along and they don't meet this stone, but all of a sudden the ground opens up and they fall into this portal and it closes like a, and they're like gone. A sinkhole. Yeah. Yep. You don't usually see sinkholes on top of mountains. No. No. And you don't I guess see you could. You don't I mean, necessarily see sinkholes that open randomly and close back. Right. <laughs> you don't normally see that. But I guess I mean, even looking, and I mean, maybe you saw something. I know there's caves, but there's nothing about like a large network of caves where if if you're going across the top, you know, you can get in some spots that's pretty thin and then you mm-hmm. open up into a cave. Now, I've heard about those things happening a lot, but they're usually in mountain ranges that have a, a vast network of caves. And there, I really didn't find anything about people exploring caves up no, here. I mean, I no. know they're going to have them, but and they they're mentioned, but it's not like in this you know in this particular network of caves, and you can find. No, I didn't see any of that. Yeah, I didn't either. Um, there's a little bit that I'll touch on at the end of this episode when we discuss some theories and explanations and stuff. But I don't think it explains everything. And, and I'll I'll tell you why I don't think it explains everything. But it is similar to what you're talking about that they try to use to explain it. Now, this next part comes from History by Day. And this, is, this talks about the Glastonbury ghost town. It says, it seems like Glastonbury was slated to be a ghost town since its first day. In 1761, a man named Benning Wentworth drew the boundaries of the new town on a map without ever having even stepped foot there. <laughs> so that doesn't seem smart, does it? He's like he's playing Risk or something. Yeah. Yeah, <laughs> yeah we're going to take this area. Just get a map. You sure and he just, about that? Yeah, it draws a circle and they're like, <laughs> okay. He wondered why it was so cheap. They're like, yeah, you can have it. Do you even know what's there? I mean, you know. <laughs> It's like you could be buying swamp land for all you know. Yeah. He's like, it's land. I don't care. It's just uh, land. Some some people are like that. Yep. Um, now, this says the land in the area was tough and the growing season was short. So settling there was an uphill battle all the way up to the 1800s. Technically, there were two towns, Fayville and South Glastonbury, on either side of the mountain. But... Those towns were never connected thanks to the impossible incline between them. Glastonbury was initially established as a logging and mining town, and workers were brought up there to log and mine coal. The uphill battle to settle there was meant quite literally, as these workers were sent in a sent in by a railroad that climbed nine miles at a ridiculous 250 feet per minute. So... It's one of those like railway cars like you'd see in 
uh, um, what, what is it, Knoxville or something up there? Yeah, like Gatlinburg. Gatlinburg and yeah. stuff like that. Yeah, yeah, where they had the train cars that go up the side of the mountain. Mm-hmm. This They were riding that, but it was quick, and it was... Uh, that was their only means of transportation up there to mine coal. Yeah. That's now, but you know, that brings up something we were discussing earlier about the sinkholes, uh, you know, that it doesn't sound like, you know, there, you'd have any problem finding something up there now to fall into if there's, right. you know, a lot of old, old mine shafts and things like that. But, you know, those came later, you know, the, you know, the old native American legends, that stuff wasn't there yet. Yeah, that's exactly what I was going to get into at the end. Um, so we might as well touch on it now. Oh, yeah. Um, Hello, step on Adam's story. <laughs> um, they they say, well, you know, there's all these old abandoned mines from the mining town. So if people disappear, they're just falling into these mines. Well, okay. First of all, like you you mentioned, my my whole thing is that didn't exist when the Algonquin people were were talking about their warriors disappearing. They were mm-hmm. not mining for coal up in the mountains to create these mines. That came later in the late 1700s, early 1800s. That's when they started. So yeah. there were not these holes for them to fall into. Secondly, if that were to be the case and you were searching for these people you would find the hole that they fell into because even if it was covered when they fell into it it wouldn't be because they fell into it so you would see it as you're searching for them but mm. yeah i don't know um we can we can hit on that a little more in depth later but yeah you, you're exactly right it this happened later so the legends started before this mining happened so yeah that's something else to keep in mind during uh, Matt's segment is, hey, this didn't start with the uh, Algonquin people. Now, in 1894, a final attempt was made to revive the town of Glastonbury by turning it into a tourist spot. The simple buildings were made into hotels and casinos. The railroad was also fitted with fashionable trolley car- cars, but due to all the extreme logging, the mountainside was left unprotected from soil erosion. So we all know where that's going. Mm-hmm. Um, in 1897, a huge flood destroyed most of the railway into Glastonbury. After that, no more effort was put into reinventing the town. Residents left the area to start over somewhere else, leaving the town with a rapidly declining population. Now, by 1930... The three-member Mattinson family were the last ones to live in the town. By 1937, Glastonbury was officially unincorporated. As of a 2010 census, eight people lived there. So, Well, they're just the people that like to live out in the country. Yep. Yeah, yeah, they're know. just the, they, they don't want to be in a town, so they're going to go live out there. Sure. Um, in the wilderness. Um. But I heard stories of this Mattinson family um, during during that time in the 1930s. There was a newspaper article that came out that said the the father and mother of the Mattinson family hold every office in this town. And it, <laughs> while that's kind of an exaggeration, it kind of is true because there was nobody else there. So yeah. they didn't need to fill the spots. But if there was going to be a... a 
spot filled, it was going to have to be one of those two people That's or right. their kid. Yeah. So um, it kind of sensationalist article, but kind of true because there was only three at the time. Now, the conversion to a tourist town was tough for the loggers and miners of Glastonbury and Fayville. In 1892, a sawmill worker by the name of Henry McDowell got drunk and killed a co-worker with a rock after he heard voices telling him to attack the man. He was sent to an insane asylum, but managed to escape only to disappear. They mm. never found him again. Yeah. Now, five years after the murder, another one followed. John Harbor, a prominent Woodford citizen, went into Brickford Hollow, just south of Glastonbury, to hunt. He was shot by an unknown person, and when his body was found, he had his fully loaded gun next to him, and it seemed to have been dragged several yards. This murder went unsolved as well. So two murders in that short span of time, both of them unsolved, and it kind of is the start to some of the weird things that Matt will talk about here in just a second. Some of the other strange occurrences since the 19th century to kind of tee up the ball here for Matt uh, to get you rolling on the creepiness. Um, Before the colonial settlements, there were reports of strange lights in the sky, odd odors on the mountain, and sounds with no explanation. These could have just been one of those weird mountain people living up there burping and you know lighting weird fires and stuff but they yeah, uh i couldn't find anything about the odor yeah i i it weird, was mentioned but that's all i could find too yeah a, a weird odor it could just be that it could just be this you know these would stink there's a lot of rotting trees or yep. you know stuff like that but the, i wanted to hear something like it smells like sulfur yeah or, you, you get the really strong odor of ozone or something when you're up there. Yeah. <laughs> you don't get that. <laughs> no, they, like, oh, come on, man. You're going to mention this and not talk about it? Yeah, nobody goes into detail. Um, I'm sure they do in some of the books that were written about this area. Yeah. But from what we could find, the access to the information that we had, we we couldn't find anything on what the odors were. If you know, if you've read any of the books that we haven't read, please let us know. Now, these reports, together with the strange disappearances, led to wild theories about UFOs and wormholes. But regardless of why and how that happened, the strangest report might just be of the Bennington Monster. And Matt is going to touch on the Bennington Monster here. But... Later in 1967, a so-called wild man of Glastonbury lived in a cave by Somerset. Reports held that he would go into Glastonbury and other areas in the Bennington Triangle to harass women. He wore a ratty coat that he would open up to reveal his nude body while waving around a gun. Mm-hmm. And yeah. it makes me wonder if this maybe was one of the people that committed the murders that escaped and and became this wild man yeah. um, if you're interested in wild man sightings graveyard tales has a good episode <laughs> on wild men go back and check it but i i thought that was pretty interesting that they've got the bennington monster but they've also got this wild man that would flash people yeah and, and harass you know, women for, for all practical purposes that guy was human yeah, yeah exactly he exactly just, he may have been a little off, but that was really all he ever did was, yep. you know, he would, you know, 
come down there and flash, and then he'd go back to his cave. Yeah. And that was it. You know, there was a, there really wasn't anything else he did. It sounds like um, my uncle Duke. I mean, that's what he. I mean, <laughs> that was his hobby. I, I don't know why, but that's it. he could have gone up there to Bennington. Who knows? It's a trend. Imagine that Facebook group. They'd be like yeah. <laughs> <laughs> mountain men who like to flash. Yeah, right. <laughs> Flashing mountain men of Facebook. <laughs> dating site you know yeah it don't Google. mountain men only dot com don't google that because i'm i guarantee you there's probably something out there and you probably don't want to see don't it want to see it <laughs> well is that a mention yeah there there was a, a, a bennington monster uh and it wasn't a, a a regular person living up there flashing people i mean there were numerous sightings of a bigfoot like creature yeah. in the Glastonbury mountain area. And that became known as the Bennington monster. Now this is widely believed to be an early Bigfoot or Sasquatch. Mm-hmm. Um, the monster has been described as well over six feet tall with hair from its head to its toes. And one of the first reported sightings is as Adam began to lead into, um, occurred in the early 1800s when a stagecoach full of passengers was forced to stop on a washed-out road. The stagecoach driver first noticed very large footprints in the mud that were too large to be human. Then the coach was attacked by a large creature who knocked the vehicle on its side. You know, that's pretty rough because, I mean, a stagecoach is not a small thing. No, it's not light. You know, it's going to take something big and really strong to to push a stagecoach over. Now, the frightened passengers could only see a pair of eyes before the monster roared and ran off into the forest. But later sightings would describe the creature as a large, hairy, black thing standing over six feet tall. Sounds like a, a Bigfoot it sighting to like, me. Sounds like Bigfoot. Now, um, as Adam mentioned, there there are multiple mysterious disappearances in the triangle that we're going to get into later, but one disappearance sticks out in regards to the Bennington monster. In 1943, a man named Carol Herrick went missing during a hunting trip about 10 miles north uh, northeast of the ghost town of Glastonbury. His body was discovered three days later, surrounded by huge, mysterious footprints. His cause of death? He had been squeezed to death. Eesh. Yeah. That's not a good way to go. I mean, well, there's not many good ways to go, but that, I mean, to be squeezed to death, that's crazy. I've, I've not met many people that I thought could squeeze someone to death. No, no, but, there's, there's one or two. I mean, you know, yeah. maybe a couple pro wrestlers, maybe Jocko Willink, but other than that, I don't, I don't think there's a human out there that could legitimately squeeze someone to death, like other than strangling, but that's yeah. not squeezing to death. That's strangling. I saw, I saw Shaquille O'Neal in person yeah. um, back when he was still in college. And and I remember thinking, if he decides to just start killing people, just start 
just wiping us out. I hope somebody's got a gun because there's nobody here that's going to be able to stop it. <laughs> yeah, no I kidding. I mean, it was just, it was so bizarre. It was like a giant had just walked in. Well, isn't it, isn't it great that uh, it, it, the biggest people like that seem to be the nicest people? Mm-hmm. Because if you put the anger of some tiny little man into the body of one of these huge people that would be horrible so i think i think the world has it correct the little people get all the anger the big dudes that could do all the damage they're obliviously nice they're pretty chill you know yeah a buddy of mine shrek he's like six seven or some crap he huge shrek because he reminded me of an ogre so that's what stuck he's the nicest dude you'll ever meet but huge ogre-ish and it it goes along with my theory so hi shrek i know you (laughs) rarely listen but you big ogre yeah and uh you know that's just that's just one strange event that that has happened in the triangle um adam mentioned those those odd murders um you know when henry mcdowell you know beats a co-worker to death with a rock because he had voices telling him to do it. Yeah. He could have just been a little unhinged. Mm-hmm. Okay. But, you know, it it seemed to be completely unprovoked. And, you know, was something affecting him in such a way that he it made him think that that right. he was he he needed to do this. It's well, really odd. Like you said, he didn't have a history of it. It was unprovoked. It just happened. And when you put it in connection to this Bennington Triangle area with all the other weirdness, it makes that kind of stand out as strange. The voices that he heard stand out as strange. Right. Um, but let's go ahead. Let's let's look at these disappearances because this the, these are the really strange ones. OK. And as Adam mentioned, the Patreon episode he did was on on Paula Weldon. Um, who is probably it's probably the most famous case. Yep. Um, there's the most information uh, about her case, but it didn't it didn't necessarily start with her. Um, you know, some people at the time suspected a serial killer. Um, but others thought that there was something paranormal going on. But the truth is, nobody really knows why people have gone missing in the Bennington Triangle. And this string of disappearances started more than 70 years ago, and none of them have been solved. So the first one is attributed to a man named Mitty Rivers. And so, as we said, between 1945 and 1950, five people disappeared in the Bennington area. The first, Mitty Rivers, occurred on November 12, 1945. Now, the 74-year-old Rivers disappeared while out hunting. Now, Rivers was guiding a group of four hunters up the mountain. On the way back, Rivers got ahead of the group and was never seen again. Now, very soon, 300 concerned locals and soldiers who were dispatched from Massachusetts Fort Devens combed through the wilderness for eight straight days. But the only evidence discovered was a single rifle cartridge that was found in a stream. I don't know how they tied that to Mitty Rivers, but I don't that know. was I, all they found. I heard something about that. 
and one place um, I heard that it was laying beside the stream and mm-hmm. another place I heard that it was sitting up on its end on a rock beside the stream. Hmm. Like it had been set, you know, sitting up on the, the base of this round on a rock. Yeah. And only way I guess that you could determine that it came from him is to know what grain and style of am- ammo he shot. Yeah. But others could shoot it too. The the thought at the time was that he had leaned over and the cartridge had dropped out of his pocket into the water. I mean, you know, it, it, to me, that's just a guess. I mean, you know, there's plenty of hunters up there. It could have belonged mm-hmm. to anybody. But the, the, the weird thing about it is that it was always said about Rivers that he was a very experienced hunter and he knew the area better than anyone in the group. Now, he did not wander off. And why would a guide just completely up and leave the group that he's guiding? Right. He got a little bit further in front of these folks. I would imagine to kind of scout out, you know, make sure that this was going to be clear passage for people that Mm -hmm. weren't necessarily as experienced. Um, and he's gone. Yeah. I, somebody said that, um, the hunters at the time thought maybe he was going ahead of them to get a fire started at camp. Yeah. And when they got to camp, they didn't see him and then went back out looking for him. I could see that happening. Him to say, okay, they can find their way back. We're close enough. I'm going to go start the thing because I can move quicker through the forest than they can. So why not? Yeah. But yeah, a guy 74 years old, that's been hunting this area his whole life and knows the area, like the back of his hand and is up there taking four people. He's not going to a do anything crazy enough to get himself killed with these four people in tow and B he knows where he's at. Mm-hmm. So he's not gonna, oops, I fell in a river cause I didn't know it was here or right. something. Right. He's going to know the lay of the land. Mm-hmm. So it, it just kind of points to something strange happening to him. Yep. Um, now let's talk about Paula Jean Weldon. Now, Paula Jean Weldon uh, disappeared when she was 18, about a year after Mitty Rivers on December 1st, 1946. Weldon was a sophomore at Bennington College. She had set out for a hike on the long trail. Uh, Many people saw her go, including Ernest Whitman, who was a Bennington Banner employee, who gave her directions. A group of hikers were walking down the trail as Weldon was walking up. She approached them, asked a few questions about the long trail, and Weldon continued walking in a northerly northerly direction on the road um, portion of the trail now known as Harbor Road. Now, she was on the long trail late in the afternoon, and darkness was coming. And as she approached the, you know, as she was getting to the end of Harbor Road, now she may have continued into the woods, but it was getting really dark. And if you assume that she had continued her walk along the Bowlesbrook Valley, there are no confirmed sightings of her past the Faithful or camp right in that area. Mm-hmm. Okay. So the the idea was that 
as it was getting dark, she went on at the end of the road and went on into the woods. But there were other people around that could have possibly seen her that yep. didn't. Yep. And it's just it's it's weird because the the timing of it that you know people put it at similar timings to Mitty Rivers time of day time of year right um and the fact that she was seen up until a certain point so many times and then they searched for her in the same areas yeah so you know and I I know we'll talk about this more as we go and we touched on it on Patreon but there's three numbers that pop into my head when I think of these disappearances. And they are four, one, and one. And if mm-hmm. you catch my drift, you'll know what uh, what Matt and I kind of lean toward. Yeah. Yeah. All right. So let's take a minute and let's talk about AMC Shutter. Now, when it comes to movies, I like them scary good. And... When I'm in the mood for a thriller or something supernatural, I know Matt does too, but I also turn to Shudder, where every week they premiere a new horror movie or series. And with Shudder, you can stream supernatural, thriller, and horror movies and TV shows across all your favorite devices. That's right. Shudder's streaming library has just about everything. From original movies like Superhost, The Boy Behind the Door, and PG Psycho Gorman uh, to the hit series Creep Show by executive producer Greg Nicotero of The Walking Dead. If you're a fan of the old classics or looking for the next classic, you're going to love Shudder's collection from around the world. They've got favorites like Halloween and the Texas Chainsaw Massacre along with must-see new releases like VHS 94 and Hellbender. And, you know, what brought me and Amanda to Shudder before Shudder was even a sponsor was the show Discovery of Witches. Right. We had read all the books and were really excited. So we signed up in order to get Discovery of Witches. Now, if you're not familiar with it, uh, Discovery of Witches uh, looks at the, uh, the, the adventures, so to speak, of Diana Bishop. As a, a historian and a reluctant witch, she unexpectedly discovers a bewitched manuscript in Oxford in Oxford's Bodleian Library. This discovery forces her back into the world of magic in order to unravel the secrets it holds about magical beings. She is offered help by a mysterious geneticist and vampire, Matthew Claremont. And it, it really, I mean... If you if you like that kind of uh, that genre, the vampire witches, a little romance, a little adventure, and a lot of mystery, you're gonna love Discovery of Witches. Right, and I, I like it for the. I'm a big fan of B horror movies. I've always been a fan, you know, and the ones that don't get all the press and publicity like some of the bigger ones do, like Halloween or. Or Friday the 13th. I like the B movies. And they got a bunch of those on there that you can go check out if you're like me. That way you don't have to buy all the DVDs like I used to do. You can just stream them on Shudder. 
And you can stream all of that and more from Shudder's ever-growing library ad-free for just $5.99 a month. Yeah, it's it's a fantastic bargain. And like you said, Shudder has everything supernatural, thriller, and horror. You just you can't get enough. You're going to love it, too. And right now, you can stream your first 30 days of Shudder for free. All you have to do is go to Shudder.com and use our promo code GREAT. That's S-H-U-D-D-E-R dot com using our code GREAT. That's right. Stream free for your first 30 days by going to Shudder.com, S-H-U-D-D-E-R.com, and entering our code GRAVE, G-R-A-V-E, probably the most apropos code that they have. But Paula Weldon was allegedly to have been seen on the trail by an elderly couple who were about 100 yards behind her. Mm-hmm. Now, according to them, she turned a corner in the trail, and when they reached the same corner, she had disappeared. Now, that's that's another weird aspect of this is that this couple claims to have seen her ahead. Yeah, and and were following her, and so they they saw her go take the corner, and they just assumed that when they took the corner that she would be ahead of them. Now, I don't know. Maybe they had taken a special interest in the fact that this seemed to be a young girl out hiking by herself, um, which may not have been a typical sight. And right. so they, they may have paid a little bit more attention um, to her, but I, I don't know that I necessarily would. If I if I saw somebody that far ahead of me, no, um, I would not necessarily think it was strange uh, if I if I just ha- or would I even pay attention to the fact that I didn't see them when I turned the corner? Um, yeah, but I of don't course think when, it would register to me that oh, it's weird that I don't see them up there because I think well maybe they jogged or man, something and got yeah. too far ahead. So I you know that. I don't know. I, I don't doubt that these people saw her, but I, I would imagine when you you learn about a young woman's disappearance like this, everybody wants to help. Mm-hmm. And so this was the information they offered up. You know, so how it works into this, how accurate it is, I, I don't know. But an extensive search was conducted and when Weldon didn't return to campus, which included posting of a $5,000 reward and help from the FBI. But no evidence was ever found. Now, there were theories that speculated that Weldon had been in an unusually high spirits and had decided to run away and start a new life, that she was going to meet a secret boyfriend and eloped with him or had become injured and suffered from amnesia. Now, darker theories speculate that Weldon was depressed and may have committed suicide or she could have been kidnapped or murdered. So, I mean, yeah, any any or all of those are possibilities, I suppose. Um, but they did look into the boyfriend briefly, and he wasn't a suspect. Yeah. And so if he was interviewed and considered not a suspect, she didn't elope with him. Right. 
Right. That's the way I think about it. Unless yeah, they had devised some can, plan to meet up later, but why go up in the mountains in the right. winter? Right. Yeah, that that was my whole thing with the boyfriend eloping theory is if you talk to him, he has not eloped yet. Yeah. She's gone. He's still there for you to talk to. So let's not let's not think they eloped because he would be gone too. Now if he was gone too, okay. Yeah. And you could that. say eloping or maybe he killed her and ran away. Yeah. One of those two highly possible. But if you're talking to him, eloping is not on the table anymore, in yeah. in my opinion. And and if she had committed suicide, I I think they would have probably found a body. Yeah, I think so. During during this search, I mean, how do you hide yourself so well to commit suicide that mm-hmm. nobody can find your body? Yeah. It's just really weird. Now, it, it's interesting to point out, Weldon's disappearance was the inspiration for the 1951 novel Hangsman um, by Shirley Jackson. So that it, it's, not a, it's not biographical. It's, it's just the inspiration for it. Now, the next one was Betty Frazier. Now, Betty Frazier, who was 26, was reported missing on May 5th, 1948, by her husband, Declan Frazier. Mr. Frazier had, had reportedly grown concerned about his wife's wild behavior, and when she failed to make the journey back from a local bar on foot, he reported her as missing. Now, initially, the bartender, Troy Rogers, was implicated in her disappearance after a customer claimed that he had given her a ride home uh, when the bar closed. However, a later recreation of the, the route that was driven disproved the theory, and he had an alibi for the later part of the evening, so he was eventually excluded as a suspect. Now, the last sighting of Betty Frazier was by a neighbor who reported seeing her walking unsteadily along Highway 30 in the general direction of Bennington. And this was a quote, like she was in a trance. And supposedly she had ignored their offer for a ride home. So here's a neighbor that said claims that he or that they saw uh, Betty Frazier, offered her a ride home, but that she was real unsteady, like she was drunk, but they said she appeared to be in a trance. Don't you think when you got back home, I'd realize there's no cell phones at the time, but don't you think when you got back home, you would have called the husband and said, hey, your wife's out here stumbling down down the road. Looks like she ignored us when we asked her for a ride. You may go check on her or call the cops if you don't know the husband's phone number. I mean, all of that interaction with her, you knew something was not right, yet you didn't call anybody. It, yeah. It's weird. Now, this is this is even weirder. Her body was discovered one month later, 17 miles away on a forest trail in West Dover. Now, the case was closed as death by misadventure. It, that, I always thought that was so funny. That I mean, is weird. Not, not funny, haha, but kind of weird. The misadventure. Yeah. That, that makes it sound so happy-go-lucky. Or that, yeah, right. Or that, you, you know, you, you died while 
you know, standing on a stack of books while changing a light bulb, you know, and playing the harmonica. That would be death by misadventure to me. (laughs) It it sounds like uh, you use the word misadventure. I think of a movie title. Yeah. Like, you know, the misadventures of Adam B and his crazy hounds or or something, you know. Or just death Death by misadventure. That would be, I'd read that novel. Yeah, yeah. I might write that novel. Let's trademark that. Trademark TM, TM, TM. That's right. We got it now. But, but the distance traveled and the prominent location of the body led some of the locals to believe that there was more to it. This was far too suspicious. How Uh did she get that far away? Nobody saw her. Nobody reported her. She gets 17 miles away. People had been searching for her, and it took them a month to find her body, and it wasn't, like, hidden, okay? And I, I heard that they actually searched that area where they found her body prior, prior to. to finding her. Yeah. So it's that that's another missing 411 that, that is. Another 411 uh, detail. Yeah. It's, it's just, it's so strange. Yeah. And, you know, she's the first one that they found the body of yeah yeah i know so this next one is is james tedford now james e tedford was a veteran he was the third person in this series to disappear he went missing on december 1st 1949 the the exact same day Mm -hmm. in three years after paula weldon had disappeared weird Tedford was a resident of the Bennington Soldiers' Home. He had been in St. Albans visiting relatives who accompanied him to a local bus, which was the last time he was ever seen. According to witnesses, Tedford got on the bus and was still on the bus at the last stop before arriving in Bennington. Somewhere between the last stop and Bennington, Tedford vanished. His belongings were still in the luggage rack and an open bus timetable was on his vacant seat. Yeah, that's that's so weird to me. That's weirder than any of these other ones that we talked about. So you, surrounded by people. Yeah. So you you really have to you really got to put a lot of stock in the people that claimed that they saw him after the last stop before Ben. Yeah. Yeah. I mean it doesn't it doesn't tell you how many witnesses there were i would imagine there was probably someone sitting next to him um, yeah at and, least and maybe they close. they would have realized hey, we're leaving and there's been a guy sitting next to me for this entire trip and yep. he's not back his so stuff's then, still here and he's yeah, not back that's right so maybe he got stuck in the bathroom and didn't make it back whatever i mean that would have registered um, but for them to go, uh, he was there, he was mm-hmm. there. And then all of a sudden they get, everybody gets off the bus and he's not there anymore. Yeah. How it's, bizarre. It's so weird. And that, that kind of ties into this, the Algonquin warriors falling into a, a portal in the ground. Yeah. Because they just disappeared. This guy just vanished. Yeah. And it's in that same area. It's the same day. 
as Paula Jean Weldon just a little while later. It's so weird. I know. And everything lines up weird. And I love the 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 poo-pooers on this story going, this is really not that big a deal. He obviously just got off at the station. People weren't paying that close of attention. And then when every, all of a sudden everybody says, hey, this man's missing. Have you seen him? And people recognize him from the bus and they're saying, oh, well, yeah, he was there. He was there. And they really don't remember because they weren't paying attention. And he obviously just did this. But I, my question is, they they listed this guy as missing. You know, there were obviously photographs circulating of him. Uh-huh. Um, so because they had witnesses. So somebody somebody was interviewed that was yeah. on that bus. And so other people are getting the word out. Nobody remembers seeing this guy get off at that last stop. Nobody right. has seen that guy since he left yep. all of his stuff. Where did somebody he go? at the stop would have recognized him or seen him? Or if he was just wandering around the town at the other stop, somebody would have said, yeah, I, I saw him. Yeah. I mean, I don't know where he is now, but I saw him walking down the street yesterday. Yeah. They, so even if you take the paranormal aspect out of this and you go, well, he planned this. He planned to just disappear. Okay. That means that he had to have somebody at that last stop waiting on him, that mm-hmm. he had to quickly get off of that bus, leave all of his stuff, jump in this vehicle, and take off, and nobody is going to say anything ever again about him. Yeah. Okay? Even if that's what happened, that's still freaking weird. It is weird. Yeah. I mean, Why you would know, you that, do that? That's. I mean, that, that's just not something that you hear about all the time. Mm-hmm. Now, this uh, the fourth person that that vanished was eight year old Paul Jepson. On October twelfth, nineteen fifty, Jepson had accompanied his mother in a truck. She left her son unattended while she fed some pigs, and his mother was gone for about an hour. When she returned, different time, folks. <laughs> yeah, right. When she returned, her son was nowhere in sight. Search parties were formed to look for the child. Nothing was ever found, though Jepson was wearing a bright red jacket that should have made him more visible. According to one story, bloodhounds tracked the boy to a local highway where, according to local legend, four years earlier, Paul Weldon, uh, Paula Weldon had disappeared. Mm-hmm. Now, uh, the reason that says legend is not a legend that Paula Weldon disappeared. The legend is, is that the that that area where the bloodhounds tracked him to is the same area where Paula Weldon had disappeared. They mm-hmm. don't really know that. So yeah, it's, it's just, it's just a story that links these disappearances together beyond this, the area that they disappeared in. And there was another, you mentioned in the red jacket he was wearing. There's another legend that I heard. You may have heard this too, but he was wearing a red jacket. Paula Weldon was wearing a red jacket. Right. So there's a legend around the area that if you go out into the Bennington Triangle wearing red, you will disappear. That's it. Yep. So, it, I mean, maybe I would be interested in what um, the bus guy was wearing and what the um, midi was wearing and the other lady. I, I would like to know, but I never found what if they said they were wearing red or not. Yeah, I never saw anything. And I actually looked at the um, 
at the newspaper clippings for mm-hmm. Mitty Rivers. Um, and nothing that I saw gave a, a real description of what I he could, was wearing. I could see him wearing that red plaid hunters mm-hmm. uh, stuff exactly from back in I the thought. day. And uh, so I, I could I could totally see that. Now, the other two, I don't know, but it is weird that those two were both wearing red. Yeah. And then the the legend comes up, don't wear red. Yep. So the fifth and final disappearance occurred 16 days after Jepson. Um, on October 28, 1950, Frida Langer, age 53, and her cousin, Herbert Elsner left their family campsite near the Somerset Reservoir to go on a hike. Now, during the hike, Langer slipped and fell into a stream. She told Elsner that if he would wait, she would go back to the campsite, change clothes, and catch up to him. But she didn't return. So Elsner made his way back to the campsite and discovered that Langer had not been back to the site and that no one had seen her since they left. Now, over the next two weeks, five searches were conducted involving aircraft, helicopters, and up to 300 searchers. No trace of Langer was found during the search. On May 12, 1951, her body was found three and a half miles from the camp at the Somerset Reservoir in the east branch of the Deerfield River, an area that, depending on what source you look at, it was either thoroughly searched or only lightly searched seven months previously. Like I said, there's a a lot of different sources that talk about these stories. Some say it was heavily searched. Some say, yeah, not so much. but the odd thing about it is it had been seven months and her body had been had decomposed to the extent that they could not uh, co- they could not uh, come up with a concluded cause of death. Right. Well, in either heavily searched or lightly searched, where she was found would have been seen during just a brief examination. You you would think that it, it so, wasn't it wasn't in obvious uh, that the body was there. Yeah. Um, so the, it would seem like if, if they were looking, you know, when you're in a search like this, you know, you, if, if you're just a searcher, if you're not related, you know, to the missing person or the family in your head, you're, you're thinking you want to find this person alive, but you're potentially looking for a body or remains. Mm-hmm. Okay. That's just a fact. And it's morbid, but it, it it's going to, somebody that's not emotionally attached, that's going to come into their head. So oh, if, yeah. if searchers are actually looking for a possible body, you would think that a body where she was found would have been seen. I mean, yep. you just, but again, that's another missing 411 aspect is the body showing up in a place mm-hmm. that had already been searched. Right. And it being months later and, you know, it's not in this case, but in some of the 411 cases, they're found or they're found with their clothes neatly folded or just their clothes are found. 
Now, I know in this last case that that wasn't that wasn't what happened. She was just found um, decomposed there. Mm-hmm. But I'm wondering if in that other the other case where the body was found, how the clothes were found and were the clothes clean? Right. Um, because that would fold the clothes. Yeah. If the clothes mm-hmm. were pretty much spotless, then that would lend more to the 411 thing where. Where is the body been then if mm-hmm. it hasn't got all this weather damage and stuff to it? So, I mean, even with her case, if the clothes were there, but not seven months of forest rot on the clothes, what happened to this body? Where was it prior to being found? And there, there's some oddity in, in, the, in the research that I found. Multiple times I, I saw it referenced that um, Langer was the last person to disappear and the only one whose body was found. But yet we have all these reports that Betty Frazier's body was found. Mm-hmm. I, I don't know if, if because Langer's body was found in that area and um, Frazier's body was found further away. Yeah, that, they, that may that, be it. That, that may be why they say it that way, but it, it just seemed odd. Um, but there's not any any real connection between these disappearances that they have found. Okay. Other than it being the general area and that five year time span and roughly the time of year, you mm-hmm. know, but even more strange than them discovering Langer's body in an area that they had previously searched is the ones that they never found at all. Yeah. Now they're, there is dangerous wildlife on Glastonbury Mountain. But as we've said before, animal attacks leave evidence. Okay? Yeah, you, sure. You, you can find where someone has been attacked. Bears don't typically swallow someone whole. Okay? And the search parties were frustrated when they weren't finding any kind of evidence at all. Okay? Both Weldon and Jepson were wearing bright red coats, as we've mentioned. They should have been easy to spot on their own. Yep. But that's where the legend kind of comes up, where it's it's bad luck uh, to wear, well, this said crimson. Um, you know, it red. Don't wear red. You know, I'm not, I'm not going to debate with some entity that's going to make me disappear on whether or not I'm wearing red or crimson. Yeah, right. <laughs> right. Right. Hey. It's not it's not going to go over well, and it's not worth it. That's either. right, right. Now, Rivers and Langer seem to disappear suddenly without being that far from the people they were with. So, mm-hmm. you know, Mitty Rivers disappeared, just getting a little bit further ahead of the group he was guiding. Um, and Frida Langer disappeared while walking a short distance back to camp between a camp and her cousin that was waiting there by the, by the river, by the stream. Mm-hmm. I mean, you know, that, that that's really weird. And another four one, one, um, Oh yeah. You know, connection there. Hey, I mean that, that whole thing is what spurred the graveyard tale saying, stay with your group. <laughs> that's right. Stay because with your group. Don't be the last in line. <laughs> exactly. Cause it always seems like in these four one, one cases, if you get ahead or behind your group where people don't see you for just a little bit of time, that's when you disappear. That's right. 
And it, it's same in these cases where Mitty just kind of got up in the brush a little bit ahead and then he's never seen again. Right. And same with Langer. Yeah. So it a lot of these fit the missing 411 um, uh, criteria. Right. Yeah, they sure do. Now, as I mentioned earlier, the pattern of disappearances has led some to suggest that a serial killer was responsible. Now, all of the people who vanished did so within the winter, which suggests that um, maybe something other than chance was at play. That you know that it's like why why would you be up here you know doing you know you're it's the middle of winter especially like Paula mm. Weldon why would you go out there you know in the winter time like this um but the first disappearances left no trace at all and Langer's body was discovered in a place that had already been searched maybe someone was extremely successful in abducting and killing people near the highway or on the mountainside. And like many other killers, maybe that person just had that desire to show off when they moved Langer's body out into the open. Maybe so. What about the old guy on the bus? Though? I, I know. I know. Uh, it, it would explain why no traces have been found of the other victims and why Paul Jepson's trail went cold on the highway. It would even make sense in Paula Weldon's case that she hitchhiked to the mountain and may have accepted a ride home as well. I mean, you know, think about it. She hitchhiked there. Um, mm -hmm. You know, they actually interviewed a man that gave her a ride to. He actually went to his home. He did not take her to the entrance, but he took her to his home and the entrance was just kind of like right down the road. Yeah. You know, so he he went there and and pointed her in the right direction as she walked there. So if she was felt comfortable enough to hitchhike to the entrance, if she got up there and said, "Hey, I need a ride home. It's cold," she mm -hmm. might have gotten in a vehicle with somebody else, and that somebody else may have done her harm. And Possible. If they had a vehicle, then they could dispose of the evidence. That all sounds really, really good um, for that case. But Adam's right. You know, what about this guy just vanished off a bus? What? I mean, how good of a killer do you got to be to get somebody off yeah. a bus and nobody notices? Yep, exactly. But, and oh, one ahead. thing we touched on in the uh, the Paula Weldon case on Patreon was one of the other 411 criteria is that weather always seems to play mm -hmm. a role in hampering the search efforts right after Paula disappeared, a snowstorm blew in. So they don't talk much about it in the other cases. No, there's really but, no, no mention of the weather impacting the search. Yeah. If, if they're, I mean, if they're not specifically looking for that, they might not even think to mention that in a report. Oh, well, you know, we started the search and then it started raining or, or something. Yeah. But if you start picking at this serial killer theory, you, you start finding bigger holes. Like, you know, Langer and Rivers went missing on a mountain near friends. Yeah. Boy, how skilled do you got to be to snatch somebody right there around all these other people and no mm. one notices? You're a ninja. Yeah. It would be really risky to try to abduct somebody with their friends in earshot. 
or you're a, a Navy SEAL sitting out there in the wilderness just waiting yeah. in all camo. You pop up, grab them, and disappear back into the bush. You got to be good, and you got to shut yep. that person up fast. Mm-hmm. Now, the second problem with the serial killer theory is that these victims don't follow any kind of pattern. And serial killers, they tend to have a type. I mean, yep. how, how odd for a serial killer to take out two elderly men, an 18-year-old woman, an eight-year-old boy and a 53-year-old woman. There's no, there's nothing to that at all. Right. Now, you know, some people say, well, some serial killers are just opportunistic. I mean, an opportunity killer who is fine with a wide range of victims wouldn't fit the same profile as one that would be willing to get caught by trying to grab Rivers or Langer near their, their friends. Yeah, yeah. So, I mean, it just, it it doesn't hold a whole lot of water. Now, kind of similar to that idea that there's a man swallowing rock roaming around the mountains is the idea that if it's not a serial killer and these victims are, are varied, what if there's something paranormal going on? Uh-huh. Okay. Um. Now, this is where this idea of either UFO abductions, uh, wormholes, um, that's where that all comes from, is we can't explain it any other way, at least not well. Right. So if we can't explain it, then maybe there's something paranormal. I I like the fact that they're not there's not a bunch of people going, it has to be paranormal. If we can't explain it, any, it has to be. Well, it doesn't right, have yeah. to be, but it's interesting enough to say, look, there is no reasonable explanation for these disappearances. So what if we consider some paranormal mm-hmm. ideas? You know, what if they did just kind of wander into a, a time slip or a wormhole? You know, yeah. what if they were abducted? You know, that would that would make more sense with Tedford's disappearance, him just being zipped off a bus, you know, and and it, you know, and and it would kind of it would kind of go along with the fact that there was absolutely no evidence found for so many of these. Yep, And the ones that happened so close to other people. Right. Right. It would it would tie into that, too. Right. So if you've got a beam that can just suck somebody up right off the ground, you know, it don't matter how close they are. Yep. Now, writer Joe Derwin has covered the strange folklore in his column, These Mysterious Heels, and explains how the mythos of the triangle has changed with the times. Joe says when newspapers first reported on the Bennington Triangle phenomena, the explanation was tied into Native American legends. Hey, you know, we've talked about that. In the 1990s, the explanation shifted to UFOs and other ideas popularized by the X-Files. In the early 2000s, the myth circled back to Bigfoot and the Bennington Monster, which we really haven't even gone back to. But there's, I mean, there's still this idea that there's a Bigfoot or Sasquatch type creature on the mountain. And could they be responsible for these disappearances? 
It's possible. I mean, you know, if if you're gonna if you're gonna entertain the idea that they were sucked up by a UFO, you gotta you gotta at least think. Well, maybe this uh, the sightings of this big hairy Bigfoot thing up on the mountain, maybe it's responsible. And there's some missing four one one cases that we discussed yeah. that seem to have a Bigfoot connection to them. Yeah. So. If you take that, uh, you know, all those disappearances, yep, they're really weird, super strange, Bennington Triangle, I get it, you know, there's been some weird stuff. You just be like, okay, reminds me a little of Mount Shasta, you know, mm-hmm. I, you know, the weird disappearances, very similar. Until, until I found this, even, and I just, I just titled it even weirder because it didn't fit, mm. Okay. Now, some people who've heard all the rumors about the Bennington Triangle and the Glastonbury Mountain have decided that it would be really cool to go out there and investigate it themselves. Um, yeah, okay. So you sounds like something people take, would do. Yeah, take a group out there, go camping. I mean, let's let's face it. We said at the beginning this, you know, there are remote areas, but this place is not remote. I mean, there are people around. I mean, mm-hmm. you. You could get lost, you know, things could happen, but there are at least towns around the area where you could get back to civilization, okay? So, one of these adventurers is a, is a man named Chad Abram, a, Abramovich, Abramovich. Chad, I'm sorry. Probably. I'm butchering your name. Let's go yeah, with probably Abramovich. Probably the second one. I like yep. it. Now, he, uh, his website, Obscure Vermont, he reports on uh, a trip that he took to the Glastonbury Mountain. And this is what he says. Myself and a few friends departed uh, in his pickup truck and drove up the bumpy forest road into a strange clearing in the middle of the hills. Here, uh, underneath summer humidity, we found old cellar holes almost entirely hidden by tall grasses beneath the shade of a gnarled apple tree. Shortly after this, Abramovich and his group experienced a sudden drastic change in the weather. It was a sunny July afternoon when they started, but a torrential thunderstorm quickly appeared. The group was stranded for some time, but finally managed to make it back to the flats. When they escaped the downpour, they found that the surrounding area was bone dry. Huh. Locals later confirmed that no thunderstorm had passed through their area. <laughs> that is weird. So I, I mean, like, whoa, okay. Uh, it it not ties into before. that weird uh, weather patterns that they talked mm-hmm. about, but. That's that's even weirder than weather patterns you could imagine. Yeah, because, I mean, are you going to get a, a really heavy thunderstorm in one little area that nobody else is going to get affected by? It's Seems, possible. I guess. It's unlikely. So this next story, a man named Robert Singley, who's a, a music composition teacher at Bennington College and an experienced hiker, became lost on the mountain in 2008. He took a trail that he knew well to nearby Bald Mountain and then used the same trail to go back. However, 
the well-known trail didn't lead where it should have. According to Singley, he walked eight kilometers, or about five miles, before realizing that he should have reached his car already. Just as he became concerned, a heavy fog rolled in, and the whole trail became hopelessly dark. He went to a maple tree that he felt called to him from the fog and tried to start a fire. Every stick he reached for turned out to be an animal bone. Well, that's weird. That's weird. Now, this would have probably panicked most people. But Singley was more concerned about his fiance because he was in his head. He's thinking she's going to be worried sick. He finally managed to light a fire and he huddled by it through the night. In the morning, he found that he had somehow ended up on the other side of the ridge from his car. But luckily, he made it back to tell this story. So the, the key here is that he was an experienced hiker and he knew where he was and he knew the trail that he was on very well. And so he takes that same trail up to bald mountain and goes back the same way. Now for me, there's a really good chance that I'm going to come back and I'm going to, I'm going to take a wrong turn that I would swear that I took. (laughs) Coming up there. I, I used to say, if if I'm trying to find some place and I come to an intersection and, and I can go right or left, I've got a 50% chance. I will get it wrong 75% of the time. Okay? Uh-huh. Uh, you know, I got as good of a chance at a, as a coin flip and I'll still get it wrong. Yeah. So, you know, for somebody like me, I can see that happening. But for somebody that's an experienced hiker, somebody that knew that trail, they had been on that trail before, and they knew exactly which way to go and how to go back, What? how would they go so far off that they yeah. wound up on the other side of the ridge? But, I mean, he realized, hey, I'm, uh, I've been walking too long. You know, mm-hmm. I'm not, I should be already back. And and then that's when he noticed this weird fog rolling in, and it it was almost that's, like the 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 mountain, the woods didn't want to let him go. Yeah, and that I mean, again, that that ties into four one one, but it it also lends some credence to the portal thing. Yep, because if he happened to walk through a portal at any point in that trail then yeah, it would be different. He could have changed locations entirely from stepping through a portal and ended up somewhere else, either not in this dimension or just it moved him to the other side of the mountain. Mm -hmm. And if you think about that lady whose body was found 17 miles away, what if she stepped in a portal and it popped her out over there? Right. Right. And, you know, that's how she managed to cover that much ground. Mm-hmm. own foot by herself so with all that um i found a couple things that tried to explain it and i think you and i can probably tear some holes in their explanations so let's look at the explanations and let's tear some holes in their red jackets um 
Now, this says in all the research done to answer the vexing questions of the Bennington Triangle, there have been at least some practical answers. These explanations make sense, even if they aren't as satisfying. This is according to the the article here. One such reason is hypothermia. Since temperatures on the mountain can drop dramatically and the disappearances all happen in the winter, hypothermia is a likely explanation. When people experience hypothermia, they might engage in what's called terminal burrowing, a survival behavior that drives people to find a small and remote place to huddle. It takes them out of the wind and into enough warmth to slow the process of freezing to death, but it typically kicks in too late and then makes it harder for the person to be found. Adam, you know what one of my least favorite things to do is? Well, I think so, but I don't think we can talk about it on the show. <laughs> Probably not. <laughs> uh, but but the next the next one oh, okay. is is going to the grocery store to to buy the the stuff I need to fix dinner for that night. I agree okay? with you there, yeah. And you know, right below that is the question, what do you want for dinner tonight? <laughs> yep. <laughs> like, Seems uh, like every day. Every day there's like, that question. Yeah, every day. But you know what makes it all that go away? Hello Fresh. Mm-hmm. Now, if you've listened to our show for a while, you've heard us talk about HelloFresh and how great it is. I mean, it just there are so many reasons to, to try HelloFresh. Um, but Adam and I love it. And and this is why you get farm fresh pre-portioned ingredients and seasonal recipes delivered right to your doorstep and you get to skip the trips to the grocery store um you get to avoid that question of hey what's for dinner and you get to count on hello fresh to make home cooking easy fun and affordable that's why hello fresh is america's number one meal kit oh yeah and HelloFresh chefs really know how to diversify the menu with seasonal recipes like salmon limon and pasta primavera. And you can pick your favorites from 50 different weekly options and skip weeks when you need to. You can change your delivery date or update your preferences all in the HelloFresh app. That's great because if you're going out of town on vacation and you're like, well, crap, I got HelloFresh showing up. Don't worry about it. It won't sit there on your porch for a week till you get back. You just skip that week. And they'll mm-hmm. do it the next week. And we recently got a box. And as we've said before, our kids just love HelloFresh and, and oh, yeah. making the the meals and all that. And one of the ones that we got was a firehouse cheeseburger with fried onions, garlic potato wedges, and creamy ranch sauce. Oh, and, yeah. Dude, if you know anything about me, you know I like creamy ranch sauces. And you know I like some spicy food. And now we had to tone down the fire part of it for Michael. So we just did house cheeseburgers for Michael and left the fire part out of his. But he helped cook it. Man, they were great. A, a, a spicy cheeseburger with a cooling ranch sauce on there. You can't beat that. It was great. Oh, I, that just it sounds amazing. And you're right. My family, they, they get so excited when they, when they see that box sitting on the front porch. And they get excited because they know, hey, we're going to have a great meal tonight. Yep. They know that they're going to get to help, and and that's huge. Oh, yeah. Okay? And it's huge for us. I mean, you know, Brooks has cooked supper 
all by himself, just using, you know, HelloFresh. It, it's and amazing. At, at 12 years old, that's that's impressive. Oh, yeah. Okay. Oh, yeah. And, and of course, when, when, we, when we tell people what we had for dinner last night, oh, and Brooks cooked it all. <laughs> yeah. They're like, what? Jaws kind of hit the floor, you know? Just tell them, hey, HelloFresh. Yep, exactly. And you can customize your favorite dishes with their new Hello Custom offerings by swapping out one protein or side for another, upgrading for a more luxurious experience, or even adding protein to a veggie meal. That means more choices, more variety, and more meals truly tailored to you. If you want to join Matt and I's families on this and and you want to get your 10 and 12 year olds cooking or you know either helping out or just say hey i'm gonna go sit on the sofa you cook tonight you can do that and all you have to do is go to hellofresh.com h-e-l-l-o-f-r-e-s-h.com slash graveyard 16 g-r-a-v-e-y-a-r-d-1-6 use our promo code graveyard 16 and you get up to 16 free meals and three free gifts that's right you just go to HelloFresh.com slash Graveyard16, G-R-A-V-E-Y-A-R-D-1-6, and use our promo code Graveyard16 for up to 16 free meals and three free gifts. I mean, it does, so, it does make sense. Yeah. But. Yeah, but the the problem to me is this terminal burrowing. You're on a mountain, and we haven't heard of the caves or anything like we were saying. So where are you going to burrow? Mm-hmm. Are you going to dig a hole? Because if you dig a big hole and then a search party comes through, they're going to see a big hole in mounds of dirt mm-hmm. where you've decided to go gopher on the side of this mountain. And they're going to see your little gopher hole. Mm-hmm. If if you just get under shrub brush and stuff, I, maybe I, I can. Or I can or see if you, you not find being a small found, cave but, or an overhang. Um, yeah. Maybe you get up underneath that and try to seek some shelter. I mean, it's it's yeah. possible, but again, I it would make people harder to find. But I'm with you. I, I think that there would be more evidence. I mean, even if it's even if it's just small, there would be mm-hmm. evidence that somebody had tried this. Yeah. You know, even if you yep. couldn't find their body. Yeah. You you could potentially find some evidence that they were there. Well, and these the the couple people that disappeared in the woods right by somebody. Mm-hmm. It apparently wasn't that bad uh, right. temperatures for them to be there. And the people, I mean, within a minute and a half, you're going to burrow into the ground and disappear. And the people walking behind you are not going to find you. Yeah. You know, they, that doesn't seem possible to me. And it, and it, it also doesn't explain the bus yeah, guy. Yeah, that's what I was going to say. It doesn't explain Tedford's at all. No. And it doesn't explain the ones that have, the bodies have been found. Mm-hmm. So if the bodies haven't been found they were seen right before they disappeared and somebody would have stumbled across their burrow Mm -hmm. the people that just disappeared on a bus 
doesn't explain that. Yeah. And how does it explain the people whose bodies were found? It it to me it it doesn't doesn't work. Well, and that you know the other side of this is that people that are experiencing hypothermia will eventually begin to take their clothes off. Exactly. Okay. Yep. And Paula Weldon uh, and Jepson, uh, Paul Jepson, were wearing coats. Red coats. Yeah. Okay. Even if they didn't find them, I think there was a chance they would have found their coats. Mm-hmm. You know, that that's a common thing in these disappearances, even when they do find the body, you know, they'll find a body naked. And you're like, they were freezing to death. Why in the heck are they naked? Well, mm-hmm. that's because, you know, there's something that happens to your, you know, inside your brain that says, uh, this is what I need to do. This is what'll protect me and you begin to feel that the that heat from inside and you start to pull off layers you know and all you're all you're really doing is just speeding the process along mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and so you know if 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 those two you know especially in in my you know paul a, a child um who w- wouldn't necessarily be thinking logically in a situation like this would just kind of follow instinct and, you know, his, his brain would just kind of take over Yeah, because I, I know yep. at some point you're, you're thinking I cannot take off my clothes. I, I need to find more clothes. So if, you know, if hypothermia begins to cause some, you know, clouded judgment, maybe even hallucinations, um, then you start doing things that you, you wouldn't normally do that don't appear rational. Yeah. Yeah. Now, this goes on to say that another explanation for the the mysteries has to do with its history as a mining town. And this is what we touched on earlier. Mm-hmm. The mountainside is practically littered with unmarked mine shafts, which for the unfortunate hikers means whoever goes off trail can plummet to their deaths. But like I said, this doesn't explain why the Native Americans spoke of warriors disappearing out of the blue because the mine shafts weren't dug at that point. So it wouldn't explain those disappearances. It wouldn't explain the deaths where the bodies have been found, and it wouldn't explain the bus guy. So I don't like this. I don't like this theory. I mean, it could happen. I guarantee you it could happen. Mm-hmm. But I, I, you know, maybe, maybe for Mitty Rivers and Paula Weldon, yeah, maybe because they were never found and they just disappeared, but they weren't necessarily off trail. And like I said earlier, if they had been walking in front of this group, like let's take just Mitty, he's walking in front of the group. They keep walking. If he fell in a mine shaft, they would have either fallen in the same mine shaft because they were right behind him or they would have seen the mine shaft that he uncovered with his fall and then known what had happened. Mm-hmm. Right. And especially with Mitty Rivers, I don't I don't think if he was guiding a group of hunters, he's not going to go through areas that he's unfamiliar with. Right. Right. I mean, you know, you, you hear these people, well, they were avid hikers and they knew the area well. 
Like, yeah, they probably knew the area really well, but they didn't know the entire area. I mean, that'd be that'd be really tough. You know, yeah. you, you know it well, but you hadn't been on every inch of it. And there's a potential mm-hmm. that there's, you know, something you, you, if you strayed away from an area you haven't explored multiple times, that you're going to come across something that would be dangerous or, you know, like a, like a mine shaft. Yeah. He's got to have had these guys through an area that he knew well. Why risk it? Why take a group that's probably paying you to through some area you're not familiar with? I mean, you know, you, yep, you run the exactly. potential of getting them all lost, you know, mm-hmm. on top of yourself. So I, or at the very least, looking like a fool because you don't know where you're at, yeah. and they are paying you to know where you're at. So I see where it's possible, but it just seems it doesn't seem very probable that he mm-hmm. he in particular would have fallen down a mine shaft. Right. Paula Weldon, Paul Jepson, I, I think that maybe you know, that's a maybe. Okay? Yeah. But again, it wasn't like they saw Paula Weldon roaming around in the woods. I mean, she was on the trail. Yep. Right. Exactly. Um, Now, this says uh, one more complicating factor in the whole ordeal is the odd wind pattern on the mountain that the native people spoke about. Glastonbury Mountain has no consistent wind pattern, so the plants grow in strange ways, and many recent hikers have had a hard time navigating the mountain for this reason. Okay. I mean, that could explain some, Mm -hmm. but again, it doesn't explain MIDI, and it doesn't explain... The, the other disappearances. Right. It doesn't fit with the ones that we've talked about. Um, now, this goes on to say, to finish this out, while some of these explanations can help explain why the missing people were never found, there are still unanswered questions. Like if they died from hypothermia or a fall, why was Frida Langer moved back into the open field months later? Mm-hmm. And why did Paula Jepson's trail end at the highway? Right. That's exactly right. Yeah. I mean, in this explanation, there are, they're negating what they're saying anyways. Yeah. So and I, I don't even think the author of that little passage believes it. He's just saying well, it. Well, and I think it, at, at its core, you have to consider what you and I are doing and what, you know, this writer is doing is we're, we're looking at these disappearances like they're connected. And he obviously is not. Right. And as we right. said before, there was no connection other than the time frame and the area where they were. So, you know, we, we look at them individually and, you know, Paul Jepson could have easily been a kidnapping. That's why his trail ends at the highway. Mm-hmm. Um, so you, you could, you could kind of slide him out. Um, I, Paula Weldon also could have been a kidnapping. Um, you know, young, young, attractive woman alone you know, hiking, somebody, you know, takes advantage of that situation. But, you know, so you, you could, you could maybe slide her out and she's the most famous one, mm-hmm. but it, you know, I, 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 you know, you don't see with, with Langer and rivers, they just vanished so close to their group. And then of course, Tedford vanished right off of a Degum bus. Yep. So if you just take those other two that you say it's plausible to believe that there was foul play for for Paul Jepson and Paula Weldon, 
The other three still don't make sense. No. Okay? No. Make none. Because those are the ones that these people just completely vanished with other people right. around. Right. So, I, right. I mean, so, I, I'd, even, I'd, I'd be good saying, okay, knock those other two out. Let's focus on these three. Because they are connected in the fact that they vanished. Okay? Yep. They just vanished. And people were near them that would have heard them get attacked, you know, would have been close enough to them to have hear, hear a scream, hear them fall, something, yep. you would think. Yep. Okay? And uh, there's nothing. <laughs> right. Right. Yeah, yeah. I mean that—that's exactly my point when I was thinking about this stuff. Is it—it it doesn't explain it well enough for me to say, yeah, I—I I can see that, and you know, it doesn't explain it well enough to pull any of these disappearances or deaths out of the mysterious category. Right. They're still mysterious. Mm-hmm. What? Whether it's related to the Bennington Triangle or not, it's mysterious. Mm-hmm. But, you know, I'm just wondering if anybody, any of our listeners live up there near the Bennington Triangle, if you've heard of this or the disappearances and what you've heard that maybe we didn't cover. Right. Yeah. Local stories, you know, yes. local legends, stories that your grandfather, great grandfather would would have passed down, would have said, you know, hey, you know, that. Bennington Triangle, it's dangerous. You know, you don't go venturing in there. Um, don't wear red. And, uh, yeah, so yeah, if you if you live in that area, if you've heard some of those stories, if maybe you've got family in that area, let us know. And one of the best places to do that is in our Facebook group. Um, you can go on Facebook, search Graveyard Tales. Uh, you'll find the show page, and you'll find our group. We call it the Graveyard. Um it's it's one of the best places on the internet. I'm telling you, it, we have people oh, share yeah. personal experiences. You know, we have people share jokes, and nobody nobody gets poked at, and made fun of, called crazy or anything. Everybody just enjoys hearing about other people's strange paranormal experiences and right. and sharing their own. And and you, everybody needs a safe place to to say those things i mean you know oh yeah it, if it happened to you then you know it's it's real it happened to you and you know we want to hear about it um yep. while you're doing that you can go check out our website it's graveyardpodcast.com and on our site you can find links to purchase graveyard tells merchandise you can listen to the show and you can become a patron and we went into a, a uh went to it a little bit at the beginning of the show talking about what you get it's just a way for Adam and I to to give back to all of you guys that have essentially become producers of this show. Um, uh-huh. You know, your donations to the show help us keep going, help us not just have a hour-long ad session, you know, to cover the costs. Um, you really keep Adam and I going on this. Yep. So I think that's it for Bennington Triangle. We've, we've covered a lot. Okay. Yep. We've covered a lot. We could probably do it for another hour and a half. Yeah, we still, we could keep going. But, you know, until next time, we'll save you a seat in the graveyard. See you soon. G-A-R-V-E. 
Y A R D one six. Spell that again. <laughs> you call me up. You know. G A R Garveyard. <laughs> and I did it twice. I realized I did it. And then I was like, oh shit, I did it again. <laughs> Garveyard 16. 